Hello guys and welcome to the latest episode of the MSC Performance Podcast. Uh, today it is myself and Mr. Luke Rogers that will be uh, will be taking you through a few bits. Um, how are we doing Luke, alright? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. I'm looking forward to this one. A bit more uh, training based again, which is uh, exciting now as things start to, to reopen, which is cool. Um, so yeah, getting excited to talk about training again and, and getting people ready for six weeks time, which is cool. Absolutely. So yeah, today's podcast is, um, as Luke says, yeah, very sort of training, training based. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about two subjects. Um, one subject, um, well, in fact, both subjects sort of came about really with the last Q and A that we did, um, and also a Q and A I did on Instagram. And obviously, it's quite hard to go into too much depth with sort of 15 second video clips so we can just expand on these a little bit more um, but the two areas we're going to focus on are the trap bar deadlift versus the conventional barbell deadlift and the second subject we're going to discuss is accommodating resistance so the use of bands and chains in your training so we'll crack on without further ado um, so yeah, with the with the trap bar versus conventional deadlift, this was a, a question I got on my on my personal Instagram um, when I was doing the Q and A, and it was a really good question. So the question was along the lines of, with with such a long off season, why are you choosing trap bar as opposed to uh, conventional? And not necessarily talk about it from a preseason rugby perspective, but we're just going to go into a little bit more depth on why you might use uh, sort of one over the other. So for me personally. Um, I absolutely love a barbell deadlift. Like I think, you know, it's it's arguably my favourite movement actually in terms of just the enjoyment I get from it. But in the last couple of years, especially, I've moved more to trap bar, and I tend to use that more with uh, more with my uh, training for for various reasons that we'll uh, we'll, we'll discuss. Um, so, what what about you, Luke? Obviously, from a powerlifting perspective, obviously a third of the sport is the barbell deadlift. So obviously, that's going to be the main yeah. main movement. But do you do you utilize the trap bar in your own training and with clients? So not not massively, if I'm honest. Not not, not least with powerlifters. Um, we spoke in the last podcast about like during the off season training, uh, choosing exercises that are better suited towards like hypertrophy and also variations of exercises, which will probably be a good thing for avoiding injury and repetitive use injuries. Um, but that said, I don't think I've ever given a powerlifter a trap bar deadlift. Um, <clears throat> I train a couple of field sport athletes, and they pretty much all year round do some variation of a trap bar deadlift as opposed to a conventional deadlift. So with, with general populations, if they love deadlifting, like you, like you just said, I would give them a, a conventional deadlift or sumo, whatever they would like to do. Um, but if they're not like massively attached to doing a deadlift, I'd, I'd always lean towards a trap bar deadlift and then using more of like a, a hingy deadlift, like, a, like an RDL or, or an exercise, it's probably a little bit easy to perform. So I'm not massive on the trap bar for powerlifters, but, um, but for general populations, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think with general pop and from a field athlete point of view as well. Uh, so for me personally, I like to use uh, the trap bar deadlift um, and then use the, the barbell uh, Romanian deadlift. Um, you know, if I'm looking to get two sort of big hinge uh, movements in uh, per week, um, you know, I think that, that, that suits me really well. Um, and yeah, similar to yourself, I think with general pop, like if, if they really prefer a, a conventional deadlift, then they can perform the movement well and safely and effectively um you know it's arguably you know well it is, it is a little bit you know more technical there's a few more 
uh, sort of you know points to to think about and you know your, your setups obviously a little bit different requires you know touch more mobility a touch more thinking so as long as they can do that you know well and safely then you know absolutely mm. uh, crack on um i think from uh you know i'll, I'll angle this naturally more towards a field athlete uh, point of view i think but you know this obviously works for general pop as well um but in terms of the the studies that have been uh, have been done uh, there's one in particular um from uh, lake et al which is the effect of a hexagonal uh, hexagonal barbell on the mechanical deadlift uh on uh, sorry the mechanical demand of deadlift performance uh, back in 2017 and this was a this was a really interesting uh, study that showed some very um sort of preferable results for for using the trap bar and again you know we're not we're not saying the trap bar is better than the the, the conventional barbell deadlift but there was a few you know there was a little bit of food for for thought here and um, so for example you know some of the some of the statistics that i've had to write down because i can't remember them all um but in terms of um the subjects that we use they, it's important to know they were well trained um and obviously well trained can be quite quite broad but uh, basically what it showed is the average lifter uh, could lift six percent more weight with a trap bar than they could with the conventional deadlift at top end strength. Um, they could lift that 15% more velocity at 90% of their one rep max, which I thought was a really interesting to, uh, statistic. And overall produced 28% more higher output, uh, higher power output. So that, that, that for me is quite interesting. So you're talking 6% six, more weight. 15% more velocity at high percentages at 90% and then 28% higher power output, um, which is... I presume this is... Uh, I, I can't remember the study exactly off my head. I read it a while back, but I, I presume it is comparing the same high handles because with the, the hex bar or the trap bar, you get the option between a higher handle or a low handle. I presume in this, it was comparing the same height, so it would have been off the low handles. It was Because I think handles, if you did it off... Yeah. Yeah, if you did it off high handles, that, that number of 6% would be so much higher. But comparing well, the low handles... That, that's another interesting uh, <clears throat> topic within this, actually, is the, is the height of the handles. Yeah, and the study, the study was exactly the same uh, level. So, yeah, you know, that's it's a good point you've brought up because, you know, some people might be thinking, well, the handles are a bit higher and there's less range of movement. Yeah. This, is exact, this is based on exactly the same uh, range, <clears throat> of, range of movement. So, you know, it's a... You know, it's quite quite interesting, and with those with those stats, um, you know, and that there has been you know other other research done into this as well, and we're going to go into like you know effects on other bits and pieces as well. But you know, there's quite a strong argument there for for using it for um, a, a field athlete. Now, with the uh, height of the handles as well, obviously that can change things, and as you, as you've just said, you know, that can change it quite significantly. So for for me, for example. Um, you know, the last sort of, you know, over the last sort of two or three years, I've been using a higher handle trap bar deadlift. So, you know, sort of, a f you know, a few inches above um, off the floor uh, compared to where a normal deadlift would be. And the difference between my max trap bar and my max barbell deadlift is, is more than 6%. It's quite yeah. significant. So the proof's in the pudding there. Um, so my top trap bar, to put it in um, perspective, is 290 kilos um and my top barbell deadlift is 240 so i'm not going to work out the the percentage 20 percent yeah it's, yeah 20%. well there you go yeah so it's 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 a you know 
you know, 20% compared to 6%. So, you know, the height of the handles makes a big difference. Um, you know, the anthropometrics of the, the athlete makes a, makes a difference as well. Um, a big failing point for me with the conventional deadlift was always off the floor. Um, so sort of go into the, the trap bar. Um, and th this study also shows, which is quite interesting, that at the, at the same height, um, there was a, you know, there was a recommendation that if you're struggling off the floor with the, the conventional deadlift, even at the same height with a, with a, with a trap bar, um, you know, due to the extra bit of knee flexion, you know, and, and sort of quad work that can, that can really carry over nicely. If you, if you struggle off the floor with the conventional moving over to trap bar, uh, can, you know, actually transfer quite, quite nicely across. Uh, I've gone from higher handle trap bar into conventional before and found no carryover. Yeah. which backs up the study which talks about you know at, at lower end um, <clears throat> you know the start of the movement off the floor there's a big carryover in the mid-range there's like zero practically there's a, a couple of good points from there that i, I like to to quote about and the, the one is for like a field sport perspective you said on a conventional you fell completely off the floor i think that's quite uncommon actually and for most people yeah. i would say that normally with a conventional deadlift it would it would break off the floor they'd probably get stuck around mid shin um, if they if they hold good positioning, if not, they'd probably get stuck around knee height, maybe just above the knee. But the point is that there's a de that the bar deaccelerates at some point through the sticking point of the conventional deadlift. Compared to the trap bar deadlift, when you talk about like the power output and the, the speed output, there's no deacceleration component to the trap bar deadlift. Mm -hmm. Once it breaks the floor, you, you unless you lost balance, you're, you're going to get the lift. Um, so like in terms of like for a force output or a power output perspective, choosing the trap bar over the conventional deadlift, like you said, you've already gave us the stats, but that's like the little proof of it. If your if your goal was completely power output, you would choose the trap bar all day because the amount of force and the amount of power you're going to produce is so much better. And you don't want to be slowing down when your aim is to produce maximal power. So it makes sense to choose the trap bar over the, over the conventional for that reason. Yeah. The second point I really liked is about you say about the how you can manipulate the position while well, with a conventional deadlift because the bar's out in front of you, you're always going to have that very hingy pattern and it doesn't suit everyone. Not everyone can get into a good conventional position without finding themselves in a, in a comprehended position where it could lead to an issue. Uh, but with the trap bar, trap bar deadlift, there's so much more flexibility to choose a position that suits you. So if you find that being like really horizontal with a, hurts your lower back or you find it uncomfortable, you can go for that more forward knee, slightly more for a squattier pattern. Uh, which you can't do with a conventional deadlift. If you were trying to re replicate that with the conventional, you'd set yourself up super upright, knees forward. You'd pull the bar because the weight's not through your center mass. Your hips would shoot up. Your shoulders would come over the bar before it would break. You'd find yourself in the same position. So if you really hate that position, being able to pull from the floor with good volume, uh, the trap bar would allow you to do that and to manipulate the position to, to what suits you or also what you want to work on, I guess. Yeah. I mean, from yeah, if, if, you put, if we put our coaching heads on <clears> now, <throat> You know, I think you'd probably agree with me with a with a trap bar deadlift. You know, if you're getting your general pop guys in um, and, and 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 your athletes to an extent, um, <clears throat> I think you can pretty much coach anyone to be able to perform a, a respectable trap bar deadlift in in regards yeah. to te technique within five minutes. <clears throat> I mean, you know, whether that's you know maybe using the higher handles or you know, whatever it is, it's a, it's a very easy movement to, to learn uh, for most people. And the barbell deadlift is obviously more, more technical. Like you say, you know, bar being out in front of you does shift the, set, you know, the, the center of mass slightly. It does become a little bit more hinge. And then as the bar's traveling up, 
we've got to be very careful with our positioning. If the hips shoot up too high, you know, then obviously it becomes even more hingy and even more, <clears> you know, even, even, even more strain, strain through, you know, in and around the hip and, you know, lower back and, and glutes. But, you know, the bar can swing out in front of you ever so slightly and that takes, you know, even that centimeter or two outside of the center of mass is going to increase, is going to increase the load um, massively, especially when you get to a good level and you, you know, we've seen it, you know, down at MSC coaching, coaching powerlifters as they get, you know, as they get to a good level is, you know, even more important because the, the, the margins are, are finer, you know, with the, yeah. with the weights, with the weight going up, you know, uh, you, you know, for, for yourself, if you, you know, somebody who's obviously very technically astute at the, at the movement now, but if you're ever so slightly out of position at a 80, 80% plus load, you're going to feel the effects of that, aren't you? And your top, top end, there's a good chance of you failing the, the lift. And you'll, you'll see quite often, like someone will try and deadlift, but they'll almost just stop um, if they've got it slightly wrong. They'll know if they've got it slightly wrong off the floor. I see it quite a lot of times. People like, say, oh, I felt the bar go away. And rather than grinding it, I just dropped it. Because that's the problem with the conventional as well, is it's the risk to reward um, isn't quite there. Because if there's that little bit of technical breakdown, especially if you're predisposed predispositions to lower back injuries that bar comes away ever so slightly you find yourself like you said the moment arms increased your back goes into that little bit of flexion and if you can't tolerate that position then the chances of getting injured are so high what well, with the with the trap bar it's, it's through the center of mass there's a little bit of deviation that can happen but nowhere near to the same uh, same level as, as, a, as a conventional but yeah like you said um yeah it's there's so much more technical breakdown that can happen during the lift um you see people just drop it if, if, if it does get tough, knowing they've made a mistake. Um, yeah, I think absolutely. with the uh, with the coaching, I think like you said, the the most logical progressive plan that we would use would be get people in the trap by deadlift because there are a lot of transferable skills from it. You're still pulling from the floor. You still got to arrange your back into a good position. You still got to brace under lowered, uh, and then taking that there into like an RDL. And if you can form an RDL getting used to keeping the bar nice and close to your leg, bracing and keeping your back in a good position, then going into the conventional deadlift. You've got the mobility, you've learned how to brace, you've learned how to lift heavy load from the from the floor and then getting into the conventional makes complete sense, I think. Yeah, you're sort of almost reverse engineering the movement, aren't you? And yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah. I agree completely and um, not to diverse too much into RDL, but I think that's <clears> one, of the, one of the most sort of underused and um, not even underused, but under... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of, you know, not not enough focus is put on to loading, it, yeah. loading a good RDL. Um, yeah, in my opinion, it's often used for um, you know accessory work at you know sixes, eights, tens, which is fine. There's no no dramas yeah. with that at all. But you know, top end, you know, top end RDL strength um, is that something? Is that something uh, you'd use with your uh, powerlifters and, and would measure? Um, if, if, yeah, not it's, it's, if it's not testing, but like building up to triples and sort of saying, right, you should be doing X amount of triples or for, for an RDL. Sure. I think because the RDL lends itself to be more range of motion through the hip, I'd probably lend it more to being like a higher rep exercise. I've probably yeah. gone as low as like fours or fives, but typically would be between that like five to eight range because I think it lends itself to be better for hypertrophy. You're getting that time with the tension, with the control, eccentric, full yeah. range of motion through the hip. So I think it makes more sense as a hypertrophic exercise for powerlifter where their main movement is going to be mm. a normal deadlift. But an interesting one is I'm sure maybe I've got a couple of clients that are like and they just can't see, they can't RDL 
um, they're the really bad at hinging. And I just think that the correlation between able to do a good hinge under good load and like lower back discomfort, hip discomfort, there's a massive correlation there. So if even if like you can't do an RDL that heavy, like your ability to actually perform the movement under load and building that up is, is massive. So it's something that we use as like, I'd say injury preventative and also from a hypertrophy perspective, we use it a lot. Not really working up to heavy freezing force. If I wanted to do that, I'd go for a stiff leg deadlift probably, which would yeah. be... It's a bit more, um, um, bit, bit more it's this, you know, it's a bit more similarity with the... Yeah, it's the same pattern as an RDL, but yeah, from the floor, it's a little bit easy to, to measure. Because I think I'm a bit like uh, like if you did a bench press and not switching your chest, like with the RDL, it lends itself to maybe making a couple of reps cheating. I've, I've tried to, I had a goal of like 200 for eight on an RDL, I think it was. And like after six reps and it's getting tough, all of a sudden your range yeah. is getting slightly shorter. You're getting a bit sloppy with the eccentric. So I think mm. it lends itself to be not as consistent. Well, with a stiff leg deadlift, if it's on the floor every time, Yes, you can drop your hips down a touch, but I think it lends itself to be a bit more consistent through the yeah. reps. Especially if you're coaching as well, that's a very easy one. The you know the stiff leg deadlift to you know get that get your client's hip position in exactly the right place. Exactly, yeah. Before the lift, yeah. I think yeah. The um, I said we weren't going to diverge into the RDL, but we have. Uh, you know, we'll carry on with it. But uh, yeah, I think like in terms of hypertrophy, yeah, it's ab- absolutely fantastic exercise, like you say, because of the eccentric loading. You know, you know, we know about you know muscle fiber recruitment through eccentric loading, through the time under tension as well. Um, yeah. With uh, you know, with 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 that, you know, it's a, it's you know, it's a big uh, big big movement. Um, and so yeah, you get you get everything. You know, you get low time under tension, eccentric loading. You know, three fantastic things for uh, for building muscle mass. Um, and then that's really interesting actually with the um, going into the lower rep, higher load. Um, that makes complete sense from a from a powerlifting uh, point of point of view, um, and then from a field athlete point of view, that is something that you'd you'd look to load up and, and hit your triples and your fours and your fives and load up quite heavy as well. Obviously, you would be using it as a higher rep movement, lower load uh, to begin with because it's a very fine margin with the RDL. It's very easy to cheat or to lose shape, lose form um, at the heavier loads, but yeah, I really like with my like with my field athlete guys to to build up to like real heavy sort of fours and threes. And like I say, might not be doing that with the barbell, <clears throat> and then you'd be using it with the trap bar. So you know your two hinge movements with your lower body, yeah, might, yeah, might be trap bar RDL. Because I think one of the problems with go on. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah. No, I was, was remembering that. That's fine. One of one of the problems I think powerlifters have is is setting these predetermined numbers on stuff like an RDL. Um, and using it as like, oh, well, by the end of this cycle, I'm going to do 183. And because they're focusing so much on that, they've just lost the actual benefit of the exercise, which is, like you said, full range of motion, control, time, and attention. And all of a sudden, they're just doing these like really bastardized RDLs that look terrible, but it's yeah. to chase this number. And I think that's like one of the downfalls of yeah. the movement um, from a powerlifting perspective, rather than just thinking, right, I'm trying to get good time and attention, good range through the hip. And I will load it appropriately for what I'm trying to do. I think people lose that because powerlifting is very like quantitative. You're trying to chase a number, and sometimes you can lose that and, and take it sure. too far. You um, you know, if you, yeah, if you're pushing to that that extent and you're increasing risk factors, you you may <laughs> as well be you may as well be deadlifting, and yeah. at least improving the the movement that's a you know a, th- a third of the sport, you know, basically. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, that's really, really interesting. I think, um, you know, I mean, I think the 
if, if we want to sort of con- conclude and sort of wrap this uh, wrap this up a little bit um, in terms of trap bar versus conventional. I mean, as as always, um, the the devil's in the details, as uh, Mr. Yep. Max Hartman would say, and it's very much dependent on the individual um, on the sport or the desired outcome um and with the individual it's preference it's um you know i mean look if someone comes you know if someone comes in like with the barbell club you know we'll often you know give a give a choice between the trap bar and the and the conventional and if someone really wants to push a conventional deadlift and hit numbers we're gonna we're gonna push them to do that um you know it depends on the anthropometrics of the athlete skill of the athlete um you know, and there's uh, and also various other factors as to what else you're doing in your in your program and what the what the goals yeah. are. Um, so, really, you know, to to answer the question is it depends, and it's all about the context. Um, if anyone fancies a twelve hour read, you can uh, catch my blog on, uh, on on our website about that. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, we sometimes I wish we could say right, this is better or that's better. Yeah, um, and maybe you know, our life would be more simple, but you know, I think it really, it's good when you have these conversations, it really does depend. When you have these conversations and you say it depends, it's not like you just say it, oh, it depends. And that's like the cool answer to say, at least you're giving people information and then they can make the decision themselves based off everything that they know. So you're still getting good takeaways from it because I think the answer is always going to be depends, but as long as you're getting some information regarding like the trap bar versus the conventional, then you can make your own decision based off everything you've learned. That's okay. I'm going to throw one more spanner into the work. Uh, Greg Knuckles talks about um, the trap bar deadlift being a great exercise for sumo deadlifters um, because like with a sumo, the bar doesn't deaccelerate once it's lifted if you hold good positions. Um, The joint angles are fairly similar at the knee because it's a slightly more squattier pattern compared to the conventional. So actually the joint mechanics are very similar. I know it's like like looking at it from a straight arm perspective. Um, but like the knee angle is different, so similar, the hip angle is similar, there's no deacceleration, so it can be a good exercise for sumo pullers. And if like you wanted them to do some kind of hinge pattern to complement their sumo, if you didn't want to do conventional or RDL, trap bar could be good for them. Yeah, that's nice. I think uh, there you go. from a, yeah, if you're picturing it now from a side on, you know, looking side on, then yeah, very, very similar, uh, very similar setup. Um, yeah, I mean, we didn't go too much into sort of, you know, sharing forces on the lower back and things like that but i think that's pretty obvious with you know what we're talking about in terms of the bar being out in front slightly with a conventional deadlift and you know the um you know is it it could be quite easy if you're not well skilled to lose position of the bar and for it to come forward and therefore you know increase the you know increase the the load yeah um i think we did clear that and i think like just from a that's to reiterate that with the general populations, the benefit is, is that the weight is evenly distributed through your centre mass, which lends it to be an easier lift compared yeah. to the conventional, which is out in front. And like Mark said, if the bar goes out in front, or even if it doesn't, if it stays super tight to your legs, the moment arm is longer on the lower back than when it would be on the, on the trap bar, because the weight is directly through your centre mass. And it just will never be on the, uh, on the conventional, because the bar is always going to be out in front of you. And that makes it a difficult lift in its own, in its own right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, to round, yeah, to round up, sort of, you know, pick which one you want. Uh, you know, make an informed decision based on, um, you know, on the on the facts that are there. Um, and uh, you know, yeah, I mean, as I say, you know, if you if you're a field athlete or um, 
you know, general general pop and you you know and and you're looking at both those movements. You know, trap bar is going to be probably slightly easier to um, to set up. Um, as Luke says, you know, it's you know the trap you know trap bars within the center of your mass. You got some of the weight in front, behind with the bar, the shape of the bar, and obviously you know the weights on the side. So it's very easy to keep that in the center of uh, your mass. Um, you know, the the statistics show from uh, from the, from the data. You know, there's you know the potential, and we always have to say potential because everybody's different uh, to lift. Um, you know, slightly more weight. The study showing you know six percent more weight. 15% more velocity at 90%, 28% higher power output. So if you're a rugby player, for example, you know, um, most rugby players are pretty broken and, you know, they get into great positions and have a lot of load through the through the lower back and the hip region throughout the season, especially, um, you know, run, you know, the amount of mileage, the amount of contacts, everything like that. And, you know, you might say, look, you know, especially in season, let's just load up a trap bar, you know, and especially when you're a well-trained um, athlete and your strength base is good enough, um, you know, then again, just for a slightly biased sort of rugby point of view, once your strength base is at a good level, you know, obviously you always want to train, train, you know, sort of maximal, maximal strength, you know, at least you sort of, you know, 75, 80% even in season for minimal volume. Um, but, you know, the important thing then is, you know, rate of force development, how how quickly you can move those sub-maximal percentages, you know, how fast you can move that that kind of that kind of weight anywhere between 30 to 80 percent and then lower end, obviously we're talking a bit more maximal speed. But um so you know loading up, like I said, you know, even the, the data shows there are 90% to be able to lift quicker, you know, so doing loads in season you're, you know, you know, sixty percent, seventy percent, eighty percent. You know, you're potentially going to be able to lift a little bit quicker. It's going to be less shearing forces through the lower back. Um, you know, and you're going to, you know, probably get a bit more bang for your buck. Having said that, there's certainly still a place for uh, for the for the barbell deadlift. Um, you know, we didn't really go into sort of too much about sort of you know potential hypertrophy of the, the hamstrings and glutes, posterior chain a little bit more. Um, you know, um, and you know, obviously there's, there's various advantages from a powerlifting point of view, as Luke said, you know, it's obviously a lot, you know, the deadlifts a lot more specific and you might not really use the trap bar too much. Um, if you general pop, choose which one you like and just, you know, take all that into consideration really. I think anything else to add to that, mate? Or I think the, I would say back, back onto powerlifting to, to reiterate that if, if you want, like you said, strength is specific to the angles that you train. So if you want to do a trap bar, like you said from the study, just make sure you're doing the, the lower handle version um, or maybe like a, a hybrid between the two. So you're like using a block to make it not the super high handles because the carryover is not going to be as good. Sure. Um, uh, I would also say that if you're, yeah, if you're a general population and you've never done any resistance training, then the best place to start would be the trap bar deadlift after you've learned to do a hinge with like a dumbbell or a kettlebell the trap bar would probably be better than the conventional just to learn how to arrange yourself into position and how to brace under load and then use that progressive system that we spoke about about eventually getting into doing conventional deadlift but i think that covers everything i think we're well not everything but i think it covers a lot of good info so good. nice one fantastic right we'll move uh, move on to our sort of second topic for the day uh which was accommodating resistance um, so we did get a question on this on uh, our last Q&A and we covered it in the podcast 
uh, a little bit. Uh, we're just going to go into a little bit more uh, detail on it. So um, for those who aren't uh, familiar, accommodating resistance, we're talking about use of bands and chains. Uh, they can be used for maximal strength. They can be used for explosive strength or power. Um, they can be used for even for hypertrophy or even stability work. Um, so, you know, the, the theory behind it, essentially, we're talking, you know, the, obviously we're adding adding extra resistance to the bar um, but we're looking at uh, basically adding a greater resistance towards the top end of the of the lift where the strength is greater um, you know conversely obviously there's less you know there's there's less resistance in the bottom portion of the lift so basically if we think if we take a, a squat for example with with bands okay as we're coming up through the lift through the concentric phase okay normally obviously we're accelerating but we've got the resistance of the band increasing to to slow us slow us down essentially. So we've got to basically try and accelerate uh, through the through the accommodating resistance of the uh, of, of the band. Um, so with bands and chains, is that something you you have used much, Luke, in powerlifting and also for general pop? <clears throat> so I like them, but not probably for the reason that we're going to talk about now. I like a band is um abandoned squat every so often people that, that descend too slow and we just want to get them to to be a bit more confident on the descent because i think that the difference between the bands and the chains is that the band actively pulls you down uh while the chains just kind of like the dead weight the band pulls you down when it's at its max tension so it encourages you to, to descend faster so that can be a pro and a con if someone's very erratic on their descent then adding a band onto it it's going to be carnage but if someone's like super slow and you're trying to get you, you think they're wasting energy or they're just not as efficient on that descent as they want if you wanted them to descend a little bit faster potentially putting a band on there could help them pull down a little bit quicker uh, so it's not always a positive but it can be used for people that that you want to descend a touch a touch faster aside from that i'm for, from a exclusively powerlifting you're going to talk field sports so i'll let you talk field sports from a powerlifting perspective I, I don't use them at all to be honest um the reason in being is that like with the strength curve like you said you it overloads a part of the movement that it doesn't particularly matter because you're only going to miss the the lift at the weakest portion that you have so with the squat once you're out the hole it doesn't matter if you get stronger out the hole um it only matters where you're weakest so i'm not sure if adding a band to improve the amount of force you're producing at the top is, is a beneficial thing because you're just still going to miss at that bottom position so i'd rather spend extra time getting as strong as we can at that bottom position rather than adding extra load at the top i'm not sure if there's a negative to doing that but i'm just i would just much rather use exercises that are based purely around building up that bottom strength rather than using an extra effort at the top yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the name of the game in powerlifting is, you know, you're not really <clears> necessarily <throat> looking to increase, you know, power output of those, uh, of those top, top ranges either, are you? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like if I, I mean, another thing to think about is that like, if you're doing, let's say you're doing 80% for four reps with a band. So it's, it's quite easy at the hole, but then it gets hard at the top. Um, rather than like keeping the RPE down and, and repeating that same amount of effort, you're probably going to reach a higher RPE, and it's a higher RPE about work that's not going to improve your position that's weakest. Mm. So I'm not sure how much benefit it would have is making parts harder that don't need to be harder. Um, yeah. And with with a powerlifting thing, the, the the whole accommodating resistance came from like Westside barbell and, and, and the conjugate style of training, which is equipped lifting where the equipment gives so much assistance out the hole that then you get stuck at the top part of the lift 
and sure. that's why they use like boards they use chains to overload that part of the lift which you actually need to help with because we've you, you watch people with the bench and it's like they're pulling the bar down as hard as they can and then the 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 the, 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 the bench um shirt it assists you to halfway then you've got to just finish the second half by yourself so they're using the chains to overload that part but that's not yeah that was going to be my next point yeah. yeah that was going to be my next point was yeah i think a lot of people get confused with louis you know obviously louis simmons and Westside barbell has popularized that and um you know it was uh, originated from uh, russia actually the use of use of the combinated resistance but louis yeah. simmons obviously popularized it um, yeah. but it's 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 different isn't it and i think a lot of people you know this you know they've, they've read a bit of west side barbell and they sort of think oh you know bands chains and even speed day all this sort of stuff but they don't take into consideration the difference um you know between between equipped and non-equipped in, in powerlifting yeah. it's funny because like the speed day is is kind of coming back but it just gets rephrased each time but absolutely it's, it's the same with like the laps in the bench press like we know they're not a pro mover but everyone talks about like oh i need to get my laps stronger to improve my bench and besides us, like, uh, uh, besides keeping yourself in a good position, I, <laughs> that's not really do anything. But I was like, oh, I need to improve my chin up because I think it'll improve my bench. And I'm just not sure it will. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you want to improve your bench, bench. <laughs> if, you're, if you're a classic, classic lifter, you're pretty much going to get stuck in the hole on the squat, off the chest, or just a couple of inches off on the bench press, and then at the deadlift mid chin. I do actually use, if anything, out of the three, I do use a banded deadlift quite a lot, actually. Um, because I use that on a secondary day. And the reason is, is because I think with the squat, there's less, you'll see what I'm saying, like for someone that flexes their back on the deadlift, uh, putting the band at the top, it really, really like encourages them to keep a better position off the floor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because if you flex, if you flex out your spine to be super fast off the floor and you get to that knee, you're out of position, you're having to extend the back, extend the hips, and you've got extra resistance coming off, it's fucking horrible. If someone's like slightly flexes over or loses position, forcing them to be super strict and keep the tension off the floor, it really encourages them to hold that position better. Yeah. So I do actually use the banded deadlift quite a lot. I like it. I like powerlifting. it for the, for the same reasons, actually. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and... It's funny, because we've just bought three uh, deadlift platforms as well, actually, that have uh, fan pegs on them. Have we? Nice oh, right, well. yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Completely forgot about that. Yeah, something for our uh, for our members to look forward to when we get back. Um, nice bit of stash. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. I mean, you know, I talked at the beginning about you know people who use them for max strength, power, and then obviously other bits and pieces as well. But I've I've never actually used bands or chains for top end strength. No, I just don't like the idea of it. And like the actual main reason is I just think it's unsafe. <laughs> like if you're loading up like you know, sort of 85, 90% on a back squat and then you're adding chains on top as well. The instability of chains and just taking the bar out, walking it out, you know, the the chances of rotational sort of force yeah. through, through the hip. If the ch- if, I just if, don't if, like if the, it. I just think it's unnecessary. Yeah, with the chains, if the links lie slightly different, you can definitely feel like asymmetries. The band's a little bit easy because it's pulling directly down. Sure, but with sure. the chains, if it... If it if they don't lie exactly the same either side, it can become a little uncomfortable. It can be horrible, yeah. Yeah, which, you know, for a well-trained person, maybe 50 to 70% yeah. is going to be fine, isn't it? But Oh, God, yeah, yeah. I just really don't like the, the use of them at top-end strength. Uh, much prefer them at lower percentages and, and obviously doing my booty, booty band workouts as well. That's a, yeah. the, big, the big thing for me is like, like 
at 85% is just making it a harder lift that's not going to be beneficial to what you're trying to do. So if you would have done 80 for four reps, 80% for four reps, and it would have been a six RPE, let's say, with a normal, you had the band, and then all of a sudden it's going to be a seven or an eight RPE. Going into your next set, your actual output at the position that you're weakest is going to be a little bit higher probably. Um, even if it's not that part that's overloading, your overall fatigue is going to be a bit higher. So actually then your amount of force you're going to produce out the hole is going to be less than if you just done it. So the amount of work you're getting that's going to ben- benefit your, your classic squat is, is going to be less, but you're going to get more load at the top end, which I'm not sure how much benefit it would have. Yeah. Um, if things change when you talk about, like you said, power, speed, and when you talk about field sports athletes or people that aren't specifically trying to get strong at a squat, but just get strong overall through all ranges of motion. So, you know, in a, a rugby player doesn't need to get strong at that really deep position of a squat, but he might want to get really strong at the top end when he's fully extended. So for someone like that, from a, a, a power output perspective, it could be useful. And I use accommodating resistance a lot with, with like field athletes. Great. I was, yeah, that was that leads perfectly onto onto my next uh, sort of question or discussion point. Actually, was like, you know we've probably cleared up there uh, very thoroughly. You know, its uh, its use in terms of powerlifters, um, and uh, I, I agree completely. In terms of obviously, you do train a few field athletes as well, um, and as you as you've said there, you you sort of favour favour the use of those. Before I go into a few few bits, do you want to expand on that? Um, yeah, sure. So, like, like your experience, uh, like, your experiences, and sort of you know reasons you'd use them. Yeah, I think as soon as well, there's a couple of things. I think as soon as you had chains or bands on something, it it, it gives people extra incentive to move them quick. Yeah, because it looks cool. Yeah, you've yeah. got the noise of it. So if you're trying <laughs> to get someone to produce maximal force and you're giving them eighty percent for a set of three or four, and you'd say move this as quickly as you can, like sometimes the incentive just isn't there. With the yeah. bands or the chains, I think just from it's a fun. it's fun. <laughs> it's fun it is fun uh, it looks cool um, yeah. so people just all, automatically go into the set with a bit more focus probably trying to produce more force for, and that can be massive like it's just a little thing but it's it's massive um, like we said with, with a field sport like it doesn't matter how strong you're in that bottom position you just want to be kind of strong for all joint ranges of motion so yeah. like adding a bit of extra weight at the top end is a great thing to do because that's where you spend a lot of your time extending um so stuff like that can be fantastic um i I think the main things is just like the focus going into the sets and then also just getting strong full ranges of motion and then like you said from a force and power perspective i think the research indicates that it is a lot more uh, beneficial to use accommodating resistance versus straight weight yeah absolutely i think that's been uh, backed up um you know in the the rugby field by dan baker as well who's one of the primary researchers in uh, rugby snc um you know, and a lot of, you know, his, his research has, has shown, you know, both faster eccentric uh, contractions as well, which is important to, to think about, and concentric contractions with the use of bands and chains as opposed to uh, equal weight with just a, just a straight bar, um, you know, and uh, there's, there's, ton, there's, there's tons of research which, you know, has backed up what, you know, what we've been saying there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think the... The, the mental aspect is you know i agree i agree with that you know you, you talk about you know we talk about intent a lot don't we with uh with, with speed and power work and you know getting a get, get, you know getting a field athlete and set right you know band and chain work band and chain you know it could just be that little bit of extra fun that little bit of extra incentive to right you've got to push against this band as hard, hard as you can 
Um, and for, for speed work as well, a point that nobody ever really brings up, which I quite like, is actually a sort of safety aspect of using bands and chains. The fact that it is slowing you down slightly. Slowing you down at the top, right yeah. At the top end. So, you know, in terms of jolting and potentially hyperextending, um, you know, at, uh, you know at, the, at the top ends is, is quite a, it's a useful uh, little little add-on to using uh, bands, bands and chains as well. But yeah, very much so. I think that, you know, uh, strength performance power is very linked to joint angles as well and like the specificity of joint angles which i agree with we spoke about that with the trap bar and the, the conventional of right you know with a with a power lifter that top handle trap you know trap bar isn't really gonna 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 carry over um and uh it works works the other way as well with field athletes yeah like you say it doesn't necessarily matter how strong we are in the bottom portion portion of that movement you know i'm never really going to be getting down into that sort of deep you know deep deep squat position but if i'm fast through that extension through that hip extension at yeah. top end when i'm when i'm coming into my into my contact you know i'm at a flex position in the hip and i'm coming into my contact and that's whether it's a tackle or whether it's a carry i'm coming into from a flex position into an extended and my and my flex position you know, it's certainly not going to be from 90 degrees, you know, it's going to be from maybe yeah. 45 degrees upwards and I'm yeah. coming into hopefully a high velocity extension in, into that position. So really, if I, if I can improve speed throughout that range from that 45 degrees into full extension, then I'm on the money really, you know, and I'm going to make a high impact and yeah. You know, and, and uh, the, the same is also true from a non-contact point of view from sprinting, and you know, football and things like this as well. If I can in, improve, you know, that, that, that speed and power through that, that range, that's going to help. And, you know, the data would, you know, suggest very, very strongly that accommodating resistance can, can help with that. I think that's a big one, like you just said about uh, it improving your speed on the on the eccentric as well, and that kind of deaccelerative mm-hmm. component to it is, is massive for mm-hmm. for like carry over to like your jumps, your landings, and, and deaccelerating then reaccelerating. Yeah. That's massive. So yeah, big, that's big huge time. for field sports. Yeah, big big time, big time. I think like with um, you know in terms of injury injury prevention, I don't really like using the term injury prevention, but like. I'll use it for simplicity of what I'm about to explain. In terms of injury prevention, obviously, you know, we need good strength eccentrically. Um, you know, we, t- we need to we need to absorb forces. Really, you know, you see people get injured on the on the sports field, whether that's a non-contact sport, like you know, sprinting, or a contact sport like rugby or American football. You know, we get we get injured, you know, because we can't absorb the the forces that you know we're not strong enough to um, absorb the forces that we're undertaking in that sport so for a sprinter that might be someone who's producing very high uh, force and you know and, and high velocities through through sprinting very very fast um very high velocity which is obviously causing you know very 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 high for sometimes when we think force velocity we think force is just purely top end strength but that's where the force velocity curves a little bit of perverse really. But um, so sprinters are you know, causing you know, high forces. If they don't have the strength to absorb those forces through eccentric strength of the hamstring, you know, through eccentric loading through the joints, and that's where the injuries happen. We see sprinters you know, pull up with, with hamstrings, um, you know, hamstring injuries, see rugby players, football players especially doing it. Um, 
when I was a, a little bit younger and quicker, I tore my hamstring a couple of times, and it's because I didn't have the the, stre- the strength to absorb the the speed in which I was running, which wasn't particularly quick, but I wasn't wasn't very strong. <laughs> um, so that's that's important. And then when we're talking about eccentric strength, like your slow um, movements are very important. So slow eccentric work. Um, bearing in mind it can be very taxing, but I can build good muscle muscle mass. I can build good control. Um, good eccentric loading so we're talking about heavy rdls we're talking about single leg um you know deadlift single leg rdl type movements hinge patterns but you know and, and that's that's really important but also it is good to do your quicker eccentric work as as well you know and, and using something like bands can improving that or increasing that that speed of the eccentric load and having the ability to control that and absorb that force can have a massive carryover into sport because field-based sport we obviously want to move quickly you know when we're sprinting when we're changing direction everything like that we're moving quickly so it's very good to have the slow the practice of slow eccentric work and and technical load you know and heavy loads like that but it's also good to have slightly lower loads more dynamic movements which is going to be very appropriate for you know for for field-based and and track-based work yeah um so yeah i mean i think you know we can probably round that up unless there's anything you want to add i'll just round up that particular subject no i think like you said i think we're, we're both in agreement that top end strength <coughs> may maybe not there from we haven't really spoke about it from a hypertrophy perspective and i think there's actually like there is some okay research that says potentially adding accommodating resistance can be okay for for hypertrophy um it's it's not these massive differences but I, I don't think from a hypertrophic perspective there's any negative to add in abandoned chains maybe not in everything but you might yeah. get more output from doing that so from a hypertrophic perspective it's something that you can definitely experiment with at least and see if you enjoy doing it stuff like they use like banded curls and so it can be a little bit tricky to set up but, but adding like a, a banded curl or like you know a banded overhead press exercise like these it can be difficult to set up but you might get like a small hypertrophy effect and if anything it would be novel um so if you've not done it for a while from a hypertrophy perspective that could be a benefit uh but we're all in agreement that from like a speed and power perspective it, it's safer um you produce more speed and force and it's yeah specific to the joint angles that you're training that are required in those explosive movements so i think we're in agreement Fantastic, excellent. And don't forget, one more thing we didn't cover is putting a chain around your neck when you're doing pull-ups or dips. Dips. Max dips. likes that one, doesn't he? Max likes uh, putting the chain around his neck. Looks pretty cool. Um, no, absolutely. I think we're in agreement there. I think that was a good, uh, good discussion. Um, so, uh, yeah, nothing really more to, to add there, guys. I think, you know, we've got two, two subjects there we've gone through. Um, hopefully that's given you a better insight into whether you'd prefer to use the trap bar deadlift or conventional deadlift. Um, you know, as with, as with most things, the, again, to, to, to coin a phrase, the devil's in the details there in terms of, you know, understanding the context of what you're after. Um, and obviously accommodating resistance as well, bands and chains. I think, you know, hopefully that's cleared up a few things. If you're a powerlifter, you know, and you've seen Westside barbell type stuff and Louis, you know, Louis Simmons obviously popularizing that over the years. Um, you know, you maybe you've got a better idea now of of why he's doing it and why it might, you know, very much suit his athletes. Um and is you know, the results he's had in in, in um equipped powerlifting's, you know, is is there to 
you know, to, yeah. to, prove, to prove it. But it's such a different thing from equipped to non-equipped. Um, There's a reason you don't see it much nowadays in like the classic side of powerlifting. Like, I can't yeah. think of anyone that does. You see the occasional chain score, but it's not like, that's not the reason why they're winning the World Championships or, or, or being first in Britain. No one's doing it. And that being the reason in classic powerlifting. Absolutely. Um, and we've, you know, perhaps learned there as well that from a, you know, <clears throat> again, it's complex, isn't it? You know, bands and chains from a powerlifting perspective, um, yes for equipped, no for non-equipped. From a field sport. Can be a good teaching pool, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And from a field uh, athlete point of view, they can be very useful. Um, and although the data would, you know, there is some data to suggest it can help top end strength as well. I'm very much a fan personally of mid range, you know, improving, you know, rate of force development through, you know, mid, you know, mid range uh, forces, uh, mid range weight, sorry, uh, percentages. So moving submaximal load very, very quickly. I think bands and chains have got definitely got a place and uh, are very useful. Make sure you've got a good enough strength base uh, first. Um, and for general pop, yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely can you know can can serve a purpose in the in the right context as well. Um, so fantastic. Uh, I think we'll we'll round round that up there. As always, um, our um, all our podcasts uh, are on YouTube. We're also on Spotify now, of course, as well. If you just type in MSC Performance, you'll uh, you'll find us on there. If you don't want to see our faces but want to listen to the chat, um, which I wouldn't, wouldn't blame you. Uh, if you want to see our faces, um, then check us out on YouTube. Um, thank you very much, guys. And thank you, Luke, for, for joining me. Thank you, Mark. Over and out, guys. Cheers. <laughs>